flesh would like to override and take us on. And we believe it and we declare it and we receive your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to start out with the reading of the word. And I want to go. We've, I've got a lot to give you today. But I believe that God has it good for you. And, and let me tell you what. If your mind went to the same place of, oh, my Lord, she just said she had a lot. You better say self. You better get your mind right. It's time we take time for God. And I don't know his timing. I could speak this in 30 minutes. Who knows? But I'm just telling you, that's all up to him and what he wants to do. So I'm going to tell me. So I don't worry about you, what you want me to do. Self, you better get your mind right. Because I want to follow in what the Spirit says. Amen? I want you to go with me to Numbers chapter 13. And I'm going to skip from... Uh, some verses all the way to 33, but we're just going to go in. You can follow along if you want to have your word. Somebody say amen if you have your word today. It says, God spoke to, this is out of the message version, by the way. So if you're reading along and you're like, mm, that don't match. Well, I'm reading out of the message. So here we go. God spoke to Moses and said, send me to scout out, send men to scout out the country of Canaan that I am giving to the people of Israel. Send one man from each ancestral tribe, each one tried and true leader in the tribe. Verse 17, when God sent them off to scout out Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and then into the hill country. Look over the land. See what it is like. Assess the people. Are they strong or are they weak? Are they few or are they many? Observe the land. Is it pleasant or is it harsh? Describe the towns where they live. Are they open camps or fortified with walls? And the soil, is it fertile or is it barren? Are they forests? And try to bring back a sample of the produce that grows there. This is the season of the first ripe grapes. Verse 23. When they arrived at the Eshkol Valley, they cut off a branch with a single cluster of grapes. It took two men to carry it slung on a pole. They also picked up some pomegranates and figs. And they named the place Eshkol Valley, Grape Cluster Valley, because of the huge cluster of grapes they had cut down there. And after 40 days of scouting at the land, they returned home. Verse 26 says, They presented themselves before Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and at Kadesh. And they reported to the whole congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told the story of their trip. We went to the land to which you sent us, and oh, it does flow with milk and honey. Just look at this fruit. The only thing is that the people who live there are fierce. Their cities are huge and well fortified. Worse yet, we saw the descendants of, giant, of the giant Anak, and the Amalekites are spread out in the Negev. Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites hold the hill country, and the Canaanites are established on the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan. Caleb interrupted, called for silence before Moses and said, let's go up and take the land now. We can do it. But the others said, we can't attack those people. They're way stronger than we are. They spread scary rumors among the people of Israel. They said, we scouted at the land from one end to the other. It's a land that swallows people whole. And everybody we saw was huge. Why, we even saw the Nephilim giants. The Anak giants come from the Nephilim. Alongside them, we felt like grasshoppers, and they looked down on us as if we were grasshoppers. 
want to ask you a question. Have you ever been in a situation or scenario in life like this? Like I'm asking, have you ever, you know, been in the same room with different people seeing the same thing that's taking place, but how the outcome is told is completely different? Have you ever been in a situation like that? You know, where like, mm, I want to tell you, something happened to me the other day. I was in the back kitchen back there and Zion has one of those little uh, yo-yos. Zion's my son. He's my youngest. And he has a yo-yo that actually, like, it retracts back to you. It's one on, like, a ball. I don't know the actual name of it or whatever it is. But he was slinging that around. And and that thing can come out quick and hit somebody. And it's hard plastic. It's not like it's, like, a soft, squishy ball that goes out. No, it'll reach out and tag somebody. And then it comes straight back just as fast. And he was playing with it in the kitchen while we were here working and I was turned around at the sink and he, I knew he was playing with it. Well, all of a sudden I feel a whack right in the back of my leg. And I, I let out, I yelled and then I said, Zion Allen. And I turned around to him and I looked at his face. I didn't mean to mom, it was a real big accident. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, mom. I'm, I didn't mean to, I was just playing and I hit you on an accident. And I looked at that and I was like, you know, my mind could have perceived that he did it on purpose. My mind could have perceived that he was just being an ornery little turd and and fling that thing at me and hit me in the back of my leg. Because y'all know boys, you know, they're they're thinking in their mind, what would happen if I did this? Like, you know you're going to get a whooping, but let's just try. Let's see what would happen. I'm going to, you know what? I think it's a good idea to sling this at my mom's leg. Let's just do it. You know, kids in general, not just boys, do dumb stuff like that, right? And and when I turned around to my son, I had to stop because at first I did. I raised my voice and I said, Zion Allen, why did you? And I turned around and I looked at his face. And in his eyes, I could really tell that he did not mean to do that. Because honestly, when Zion does things on purpose, like he has this sly grin, Like, I know I'm in trouble, but it was kind of funny, Mom, you know, like that. And I turned around, and I saw the look on his face, and in that moment, I had to readjust my perspective because my mind's eye view could have tried to tell me one thing that would have made me react differently to him, and he could have got a straight-out whooping for nothing because he didn't mean to, you know? What about, you know, worship? And church, worship could have been great for you or, you know, worship could have been long for you, I guess. It just depends on your perspective of what you want. Worship could have been great for you and we as a team, after we practice and done it, could go back and be like, oh man, we messed up there and we messed up there. You know what I'm saying? Or we could be like, hey, God did this and it's really great. Perspective changes things. How about text messages? You ever perceived how somebody's saying something in a text message? I will tell you the only person in this room that I know is like stealth with their text messages and their texting is probably dad, James Norman, because he always texts in caps. So he's either always yelling at you or just always talking to you gently. It doesn't really matter. It's what it is. But have you ever had somebody send you something in text and you read it and and, and to yourself you go, oh, I know they didn't say that like that. Well, they really didn't. They just thumbed it like that. They didn't say nothing. 
know what I'm saying? How do you perceive what somebody says on the other line? And then all of a sudden, here you are, you're like in this all-out thumb war between, you know, your friend on text telling them back and forth. And you created an argument because your mind's eye view perceived something to be what it was not. What about waiting to hear back for an interview for a job? What about that? You know, sometimes things just get busy and people at work have things going on before they get back with you. And have you ever like gone to an interview and you're like, that was terrible and they didn't like me and I'm not going to get the job and yada, yada, yada. And it just turns out and then you get a call back and get a job or it could go vice versa. I mean, it's just what it is. That's life. Or what about just you and your relationship with God? Have you ever been at a place that you just are dealing with things maybe financially, physically, emotionally, and your view on how you see things happening is because of how you view God handling it? You know what I'm saying? Like, our mind's eye view likes to change the way things look. It likes to take a story and twist it and turn it to be something completely different. Often, our perspectives are shaped by what we feel more than what we know to be true. Often, our perspectives are shaped by what we feel more than what we know to be true. So you may know what God has said, but what you see detours you to believe the lie of the enemy. It makes you think differently of who God is. You know, I look at it in life as like how we see things. These are things that I've heard or gone through. These are just examples. You know, like when we turn 18, we feel like we've arrived and become an adult. Right? But age doesn't define adulthood. Can anybody tell me, amen, because age don't define adulthood. Because let me tell you something right now. I've seen people who are way past 18 still living at their mama's house and can't pay one bill for themselves. You are not an adult. Adulting is not fun. Well, sometimes it can be. But I'm just telling you this right now. Just because you perceive in your mind that something is one way doesn't make it true to be something different. What about, you know, when we first get married? You know, we have some that have been married not even a year yet, some that have, you know, just a few years. How many of you in this room have been married for 15 years? Okay, how about over 15 years? How about longer than 25 years, right? Okay, how about longer than 35 years? How about longer than 50 years? Anybody? Every day. There you go. Now, you know, Deb, you've been married 50, 50 years and uh, over 50 years. And, you know, some of us who have been married over even 15 years, and, and this is not a marriage seminar, so I'm just going here, but just, just go with me for a minute. You know, when people first get married, you see them all in the fields because they're excited and everything's going to be good. And I love you. I love everything about you. Everything you do is wonderful. You don't make any mistakes. Nothing's wrong. Until it's, I cannot stand the noise that you make 
when you're sleeping because I can't sleep because the noise when you're sleeping makes me not sleep. This is not what I thought was all wonderful. What about, you know, as you go into things, you know, because you're used to being independent, you know, why do I have to tell her or him where I'm going or what I'm doing? Like, it's okay. I'll go buy that $1,000 item and not tell anything. No big deal. Right? You know, oh, I'm sure you all get all the feels then when you come home and you didn't know certain things and things are different. Oh, that's just like being newlyweds, isn't it? What about, I didn't realize their family was this crazy. And you know what's crazy about this is it's these minute things that don't even touch when you add kids to the mix. Have kids, they said. It'd be fun, they said. Till you don't sleep all night. Till one's sick and you're in the emergency room even when you're sick. Till they're going out and they get ready to get their driver's license and they're leaving from home and you know that you want to ride with them or tell them no, but you can't. You know, till they get their first boo-boo or different things happen. It's everything isn't what we perceive it's going to be. Till you say, oh, my child would never do that. And then your kid's the one in the grocery store throwing a fit on the floor. You know, it doesn't matter, but the way we perceive things really does direct our paths. What about in jobs? You get a job and you're promoted and you're on the fields of congratulations until you realize you have to do the duties of that job. Not so fun now, is it? Longer hours, more time, less rest, more stress. And I want to tell you this today. Our emotional perspectives can often lead us down detrimental paths. I look at what they said back in verse 33. And the men that came back from scouting out Canaan, they said, alongside them, we felt like we, can somebody say we, we what? We felt like. Everybody say the word felt. I'm not talking about felt like that's on a pool table. Everybody say felt. What I felt like, you see what had happened was, what I felt like is that we were grasshoppers to them. And then they say, and they look down on us as if we were grasshoppers. And what's crazy is I begin to think about how their emotional perspective in this time made them make a detrimental decision, which is dangerous, destructive, harmful, that led them away from the promise that God had them. See, they had already been delivered from Egypt. These were the Israelites, and they had been wandering in the wilderness and going around you know, for trying to find and cross over into the promised land. And here they're at this moment, and God tells Moses to send the 12 spies. And what changed it all was their mind's eye view. There are many things in life that we have a specific perspective on that shapes the path we take. And that's our mind's eye view. Your mind's eye view is this. The ability to imagine or remember images or scenes. It's to imagine or have a clear picture in your mind of. Or to imagine something by seeing it without actually seeing it with your eyes. 
Have you ever said, had somebody be a part like, you ever had a conversation and you're talking to somebody about something that happened and somebody else butts in and they start saying and getting in on your conversation? They're like, oh yeah, that really did happen. And they did that. And you're like, were you there? Did you see it? I don't remember you being in that room. How do you know? You know what I'm saying? But sometimes we like to share our mind's eye view of how we would think something would happen or take place. And our mind's eye view can change the direction and paths we take in our lives. How you see things impacts where you go. In the story of the 12, 12 spies, each spy saw the same exact thing. But the way the mind imagined how they saw it would play out was different. To imagine... The word to imagine means from a mental image or concept of, or to suppose or assume. To suppose or assume that something happened. And I look at the Israelites at this point in their story. They were in the place, just like Pastor Don spoke about last week. If you didn't hear it, I encourage you to go back to that message and re-listen to them. I'm not going to tell you about them because guess what? Feed yourself. But they were in a place of in-between then and there. This is where they were. The, the Israelites were in a place of between then and there. And what happened was they had just been released, like I said, from Egypt. And at this very point, this is where God says, you know, here, go send out the 12 spies, one from each tribe. And what he's pretty much asking them, what God is asking them at this point is, what do you see? Do you really want to go there? Can you truly imagine yourself in the promise? What do you see? What do you see in your life today? What do you see? What is set before you? If you're in that place of between then and there, what do you see? Where are you headed? And do you really want to count the cost to get you there? If you want to serve God with all your life and all your, your soul and your spirit, and I think about it this way, is that when we are looking and asking God for a new thing, you have to count the cost of what it's going to cost you to get that new thing. You want to buy a new car? Go ahead. But what's it going to cost you? You want to buy a new home? Go ahead. But what's it going to cost you? You want to go to Starbucks every day? Go ahead. But what's it going to cost you? You know what I'm saying? There's new things. New is different in many different ways. You want a new hairdo? What's it going to cost you? You want new clothes? What's it going to cost you? You know what I'm saying? If we go around just literally not caring about the cost of things, eventually we're going to be bankrupt. And it's the same way spiritually. If you go around not caring about the cost of things, eventually you'll end up bankrupt in your soul and in your spirit. And then you will have no idea why you feel empty. What does it cost you? And are you willing to go there? And what do you see? And I have this question. Why did God send the men? Why didn't he just tell them, go now. Just do this. Go. Right now. Today. Was it to teach the importance of how a man or woman sees things in their minds can dictate the direction they take? Was he trying to teach them that it is possible to see things the way God sees things? I believe that God was allowing these men to see the goodness of God and bring back the hope of what was to come. 
It was their job to bring the life and the goodness of God back. It was their job to show the spirit of who God was and where he was going and to bring belief and spread hope to the, to the people who are waiting. I believe in our lives that God can give us glimpses of things to come to give us hope and understanding that he is the God who makes impossible things reality. This is why it's so important to have the mind of the spirit be our leading lens. Be our leading lens. I've learned for myself that as I've continued to get older that I've had to wear glasses more often and put things on because the lens, it's really this eye. Y'all look a little blurry in this eye. So if I mess up, I forgot to bring my glasses up. I'm sorry. But the reality of it is, is your lenses can be different. So when I put glasses on, I might have one prescription in one eye and one prescription in the other eye. And I believe that's how we walk around in life is because we live, you know, in that lane of, oh, well, God, I see it this way. But my other eye tries to tell me I see it this way. So I don't know which one to really balance out. And God's just saying, change your lenses and change your perspective. I want the lens of God. Anybody in here want the lens of God in their life today? And I'll tell you this, what we see or imagine has the power to lead us to his will or drive us far from it. What we see or what we imagine has the power to drive us to his will or lead us far from it. What your mind perceives and imagines will either feed the lie of the enemy or the truth of God. What you see will either feed the lie of the enemy or the truth of God. Numbers 13, 31 through 33, they go back. This is the men who went with Caleb and Joshua, went up, Moses sent them. They said, we can't attack those people. They're way stronger than we are. They spread scary rumors among the people of Israel. This is the men spreading the scary rumors. They said, they scouted up the land from one end to the other, and it's a land that swallows people whole. Everybody we saw was huge. We even saw the Nephilim giants, the Anak giants, come from the Nephilim. And alongside them, we felt like grasshoppers. And they looked down on us as if we were grasshoppers. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but if you've seen any spy movies, when somebody's spying on somebody, they don't really interact with the people they're spying on, Right? So how do they know that the giants and the men there thought they were grasshoppers? How do they know, it says right here, and they look down on us. How'd they look down on you? I mean, if you're a spy, they shouldn't even know you're there. How do you know? And it said the land that swallows people whole, was it like some big giant mouth that was just closing on everybody? No, look at our, our mind has really colorful imagery, but it often mutes the color of the spirit. And the thing about it is, is that we can then end in a life of, live in a life of a lot of gray areas. You know what I'm saying? Like, like there's no black and white, it's just, it's gray. Well, it might have been, but it might have been this. So I don't really know. No, you know. You know what you saw, but your mind's eye view tried to teach you something differently. And when you're at the point of transition, just like the Israelites were, to the new things God has for you, yet you cannot see the fullness of what he's promised, 
What do you do to change your mind's eye view to the lens and view of the Spirit of God? What do you do to change the lens? I want everybody to say, change your lens. Number one, consider the evidence. Numbers 14, 11 says it this way. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me even after all the miraculous signs I have done among them? How long? How long will you not believe me anymore to do what I need to do in your life? Now, now I'm going to ask you a question. What has God done for you this far? What has he done for you? Because the Israelites should have thought this way. If he can spare Moses from being killed as a baby so that he can come deliver us and hear our cries to be freed from slavery and turn the Nile to blood, send the plagues, open the Red Sea, crush our enemies before us, let us escape with the spoils, send a cloud by day and a fire by night, feed us, speak to us, open up the ground and swallow people whole who are worshiping idols made from gold, surely he can take care of a few large men. What has God done for you to get you this far? What has he done? I believe that God does nothing without purpose. Can anybody else agree with me? If you don't agree with anything else I say, can you agree that God does nothing without purpose? Right? So why do you disregard his methods? If he does nothing without purpose, if he has a purpose for why he's sending you to where he's sending you and taking you through what you've gone through, then why disregard his methods of what he did before to get you there? There's a purpose in what he does. You have to consider the evidence. Consider what's laid out before you. And I'll tell you what, Jesus Christ is the only man, the the only human being that lived on this earth that you want to recollect his past. I don't want everybody to recollect all my past, but I'll recollect Jesus's because his was good, tried, and true, and can teach me how to make it through everything that I have setting right before me. But if I don't have the mind's eye view of the spirit, and I only have a mind's eye view of the flesh, I will then only see in my way and not God's way. I think that's the problem is a lot of us have a mind's eye view of it's my way or the highway. Well, let me tell you what, hit the road, Jack. Because let me tell you something, you can't turn around and keep turning around and keep turning around and keep turning around and keep turning around and go your own way without feeling the recourse of what you've decided. God has a purpose. Number two, be aware of the enemy's scare tactics. How do we change our mind to the mind's eye view of God? Number one, consider the evidence. Number two, be aware of the enemy's scare tactics. The enemy's scare tactics most often come in the form of our thoughts and our imaginations. You know what's funny is the enemy doesn't even have to come at you with any extra arsenal because he knows that you're his own weapon if you allow it. You're a weapon against yourself. Your greatest enemy is the enemy within you. The enemy that is in your mind. The enemy that tries to get you to toil over things and twist things. You know what's really sad? 
as I believe that it wasn't, you know, yeah, the devil came and he came and he tempted Adam and Eve at the garden. But do you want to know what he did? He tried to lock them in the mind's eye view of the flesh by saying, well, did he really say? Did he say? And he twisted the words so that they could perceive it how they wanted it to be until it was detrimental to them. Your thoughts can take you a lot of places, but you have to be aware of whose thoughts are whose. If they're not of God, then they're of the world, and of the world is the father of the world, which is the father of lies, so it's not the truth. The devil will always place false evidence along your path to bring out a sense of false conviction, causing you to remain a prisoner to your thoughts and keep you from your promise. And this false evidence is known as, we've probably heard this, if you haven't, here it is. Fear is false evidence appearing real. Fear. False evidence appearing real. And this comes from our imagination. Often our imagination sets us in a state of fear that paralyzes us to move to the new thing God is doing in us. Fear right here will paralyze you to not move into what God is doing. Now, does that mean that you won't have fear? Nope. You're going to face it. Things are going to make you feel nervous and afraid and try to make you feel anxiety and try to make you feel all different kinds of things. But what happens is when you turn your perspective to the lens of Jesus Christ, then it clears up your view and you can begin to walk into the promise. That doesn't mean you're not afraid still. That doesn't mean that you don't feel out of control. But guess what? When you're less in control, that means he's more in control. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing. Our greatest defense to our fears is to seek the Lord before they become our alternate reality. Seek the Lord. Psalms 34, 4 says it this way. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Period. I sought the Lord. Not my mama, not my daddy, not my sister, not my best friend, not my husband, not anybody else for me. I sought the Lord. I sought the Lord. And he, not my mama, not my daddy, not my best friend, not my sister, not my brother, not my cousin, not anything, not my husband, not my kids. He delivered me from all my fears. I think that it boils down to this is that it's important to never let the fear, that's that spirit, never let that spirit of fear outweigh the fear of God within you. Never let the spirit of fear outweigh the fear of the Lord. What do I mean by that? Well, the Israelites, they started out this way. If you Look in Exodus 14, 31, they started out this way, but then they, they lost it. They lost their fear of the Lord. It says, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. What, what does it mean to fear the Lord? To fear the Lord is to live a life in complete submission to him. To have a deep awe and reverence and respect for his authority and his power. 
to do whatever we can to serve him and give him our undivided attention. That's the fear of the Lord. And what's funny is we can be so consumed with what our mind's eye view imagines that we become less concerned of what we lose with God than what we lose in the world. We, go, we get more concerned of all the things that surround us and what we lose than we do what God's doing, which is his spirit and his power, his comfort. What's concerning you today? What are you concerned with? Because God wants to change our mind's eye view. When you feel like everything in this world is attacking you and coming out you, then you live on the defense. But I believe it's time that we as the church start playing offensively. Because guess what? Every game that's won, every game that's played ever, just like today, when the Chiefs play the Bengals, I gotta throw that in there. But when it happens, guess what? When it all comes down to it, it doesn't matter exactly how the Chiefs just play defensively or the Bengals just play defensively. It, they depend on offense and defense. And so much time in our life is spent living defensively that we forget to change the lineup. I mean, what would happen if defense was doing defense? There would be no ball thrown, number one, because they'd just be running around, tackling each other, and acting like idiots. It doesn't work that way. It's the same thing with God. Isn't it funny that you can have things, and, I, and again, I had to tell myself several times this week, self, get your mind right. Get your mind right. There was a couple times Brandon was talking to me and we were doing things. He was like, are you okay? And it was nothing that he had done or any of my kids. There were just things on my mind that were weighing heavily right here. And he was like, are you okay? And then I start pacing. And I said, yeah, I just need to get my mind right. He goes, what? I said, I just need to get my mind right because I feel these thoughts that I'm trying to focus on and it's trying to weigh me down. So just give me a second so I can get my mind right. And what's crazy is, God really wants to deal with us, even in our relationships with how things are said. Petty arguments and petty things are built up because our mind isn't right with God. It doesn't have the view of him. How many times can your friend or child or spouse or somebody say something to you and you take it one way and it literally, out, literally causes World War III? Because of how you perceived it. Yet you can sit there. And this happened to me this week. I'm just being vulnerable. Brandon said something to me this week, and it ticked me off. It, my mind went somewhere. And then I was like, well, I'm right because of what you said and how you said it and what you did. And I know I'm right. So then I was in there doing dishes, and I was like talking to God. And I'm like, you better deal with his heart because I know I'm right. And I'm doing these dishes, so you better tell him when he comes in here, he's going to say sorry to me. Because when I turn around, I don't want to see that smirk on his face like, oh, you sorry? Because I'm not sorry. These are the conversations I'm having in my head as I'm washing dishes. Because me and God, we talk like that. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting there. And Brandon walks into the kitchen. I can feel him come in the room. And he sits down at the table. And I'm like, oh, no, he didn't. So I'm still doing dishes, rubbing that plate like it's going to get clean. <laughs> and I'm standing there. And all of a sudden, you know, you just you know, if, if you allow yourself to be sensitive enough, you'll know when the Holy Spirit comes in, comes in that room. 
And all of a sudden, I'm washing those dishes, and I'm, like, hitting them hard. And all of a sudden, my swipes are going, like, more like wax on, wax off instead of, like, I'm going to break this plate, you know? And so I start going slower, and then all of a sudden, I set the plate down, and I feel it, and then I feel more heavy. And then I'm like, oh. And I just stand there. And I was like. And God said, well, I ain't going to let you speak that on Sunday until you can figure out that your own mind's eye view needs to get in order. And I was like. And you know what's worse about it? Is by that time that I had, hi. <laughs> yeah. So by that time that I had decided to literally get my mind made right with God, Brandon had come up behind me, and right when I turned around, he gave me that smirk. <laughs> I looked at him for a second, and I went, mm, um, Hi, buddy. I think your mama's wanting you right there. Yep, there you go. So I had to literally turn around and I cleared my throat because then my flesh still was within me like, I know you ain't right behind me waiting on me to tell you I'm sorry. You're still wrong. That's what I'm thinking in my mind. But I know that the Holy Spirit's speaking to me and all of a sudden I just turned around and all I said was, I'm sorry. No, but you did this or if you wouldn't have said it, nope. I'm sorry, because my mind was wrong. It played a trick on me to try to perceive what you said, and I don't care if you even did mean it like that. I'm not playing that game. I don't want to do that. I need to get my mind right. And I think that's what you have to do is no matter what the enemy is facing you with, you have to tell him, I'm not playing your game. My mind is made up. I think it's funny that 2 Corinthians 10.5, and I didn't give this to Christy because I'm just kind of paraphrasing it, but it talks about casting down every imagination and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Why do you think God starts it off like that, casting it down? Because he wants you to take every imaginative thought that is not of him and throw it in the trash. When you cast something down, you aren't just like, hmm, that looks good. No, you like take it and you throw it. You get rid of it. You put it away. Not so it can come back to you. He didn't say boomerang your thoughts. He said cast them. Get rid of them. Number three, know the truth, stick to it, and speak to it. Ten of the twelve spies allowed their imaginations to trump the truth and lead others astray. How did they do this? By spreading rumors. By spreading rumors. What did it say? Let's go back real quick. Let's go back. It says in verse 33, well, down in the 30, 31, 33, it said they spread scary rumors among the people of Israel. How did they lead people astray? By spreading rumors. What's a rumor if we don't know it? A rumor is a statement or report current without known authority for its truth. And God said this to me, and I want you to listen to it. Rumors only give room for the enemy. Rumors only give room for the enemy. Have you ever been the subject of a rumor? Yeah. It's not fun, is it? Have you ever been a listening ear to a rumor? 
never been the voice that starts the rumor. A rumor's job is to kill the truth and all the innocent bystanders in its path. A rumor's job is to kill the truth and all the innocent bystanders in its path. And what's sad about it is our misconception of the truth creates a false narrative that we live by. Our misconception of the truth. Isn't it funny that you could know somebody, but then when somebody wants to spread a rumor, it, create, it causes you to create a misconception of that person in your mind if you allow it? It causes you to create a misconception or if somebody is like, well, I went to see that movie and I didn't like it. Well, I don't care if you didn't like it. I'm going to see if I don't like it. Unless God, it's a movie God just says don't go to. Well, I don't care either way. Or, you know, well, they have disgusting food. I don't like that. I don't want to eat there. Well, I'm sorry, but I like that. Whether you don't like that. You know, what happens is when we spread false narratives, it's trying to get other people on our path and in our will instead of the will of God. That's why I believe Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done, God. The narrative that we spread that's false becomes the story we share with others, drawing them into a path that leads them farther from God. And I'm just telling you something. You better check yourself and ask yourself, have I spread or believed or been a part of a rumor that has literally led someone else astray? Just because we think something doesn't mean it's the truth, nor does it need to be shared. How do we change this? We check our thoughts with God. When you do this, you place them under the authority and make way for his view to be made known, not yours. Best thing to do is when somebody comes speaking something that you know is not the truth of God, stop it. Tell them, I don't want to hear that. I'm not a part of that. If it doesn't line up with the word of God, then it shouldn't line up with you because you are of God. Right? Numbers. Well, let me go back to this real quick. Your mind's eye view, if not led by the spirit, will always do its best to kill off the truth. Numbers 14, 6 through 12 says it this way. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, members of the scouting party, ripped their clothes. This was after all this had happened. He said, rip their clothes and address the assembled people of Israel. The land we walked through and scouted out is a good land. It's good. If God is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land. And a land that flows, as they say, with milk and honey. And he'll give to us. Just don't rebel against God. And don't be afraid of those people. Why we'll never have them. Why we'll have them for lunch. They have no protection and God is on our side. Don't be afraid of them. But up in arms now, the entire community was talking of hurling stones at Joshua and Caleb. And I think this is what's really hard when we go through and we see things in a certain perspective and begin to share it or you begin to listen. God wants you to know that you need to be careful who you listen to and what you come into agreement with. Be careful what you listen to and what you come into agreement with. Because just because somebody else's path changes direction out of their rebellion of God doesn't mean mine has to. Too often we let others dictate the paths we, we go on instead of our own, instead of relying back to the lens of the Spirit. 
and I thought about this, I'd rather be standing with the few who speak the truth than the 10 who run wild with false imagination. We've heard the saying before, if you have nothing nice to say, say nothing at all, right? If you have nothing nice to say, say nothing at all. Well, if you, have, if you don't have something to say that aligns with God, if what you say doesn't align with God, don't speak. Just close your lips. And, and you know what's funny? That even goes to telling jokes and things like that. If your joke doesn't align with God and you wouldn't say it to Jesus Christ in front of him, close your lips. If the private conversations you have, you wouldn't want to just sit there with Jesus Christ in front of you because you can't see him, close your lips. If the words that are coming out of your mouth, even though they may be truth, aren't the truth that needs to be said by your spirit, but by God's, close your lips. I don't think we understand that our mind's eye view literally has the ability to change the paths of where we go. And it changes everybody's around us. It literally does. You think it doesn't? You think that that spirit didn't change it? Oh, it did. 10 men, 10 out of thousands of men changed the destiny of a whole generation. Because that generation chose to get into agreement with the words of 10 men instead of the spirit of the two that were with God. And those men never saw the promised land. Their, their children, they had to wait till they died. Joshua and Caleb were never persuaded by the misconceptions of the other men. They knew the truth, they stuck to it, and they spoke it clearly. Last point, number four, pick a side. How do we get our mind's eye view to be on the mind of Christ? We pick a side. Pick a side. And you're saying, well, you know, what do you mean by that? Well, I believe that God's saying it's me, either me or you. It's either me or you. Who do you choose? Pick a side. Pick what you want to do. What are you going to come into agreement with? Spirit or flesh, what do you do when you're at the line of crossing over to a new thing and God asks you that? What are you going to do? You're going to go back? Is it either me or you? You're going to follow what you believe, what you see, how you see it? Or are you going to follow what I believe, how I see? Even though you may not be able to see and understand where you're going, do you trust me? Pick a side. To choose yourself is to choose flesh and your own imaginations. And this is what the ten men, men did. They denied the mind of Christ to rule over them. And because of it, they never received what God had in store for them. Numbers 14, 29 through 30 he says it this way. You will all, this is God speaking to them. You will all drop dead in the wilderness because you complained against me. Every one of you who is 20 years old or older and was included in the registration will die. You will not enter and occupy the land, I swore you. The only exceptions will be Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. 
Verse 34, because your men explored the land for 40 days, you must wander in the wilderness for 40 years, a year for each day, suffering the consequences of your sins. Then you will discover what it is like to have me for an enemy. If God said that to me, I'd be like, I'll choose you. (laughs) I don't want to be on that side. And what's really sad about it is I think sometimes we think that how we view things and see things doesn't have any consequences, but it does. It does. Does that mean that God gave up on the promise that was for the people of Israel? Nope. But he wasn't going to take a rebellious generation all the way with him. He wasn't going to take people who didn't care, that couldn't see him for who he was, couldn't be thankful for him, couldn't love him as he truly was, and could not follow him. God needed a generation that was willing to rise. And so guess what he did? He started out fresh and anew. Did you hear me? He started out fresh and new. If God is doing a new thing in you, you better get on board and get your mind right so that you can transition over to the promise. Because if you don't, guess what? For every year that you were disobedient may be a consequence that's laid on you and the generations to come after. What do you want to do? Get your mind right. Say it again, self. Get your mind right. Devotion to self leaves you defenseless and in a state of suffering with nothing to show for yourself or live for. Devotion to self leaves you defenseless and in a state of suffering with nothing to show for yourself or live for. To choose Christ is to choose the spirit and the mind of God. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16 says it this way, but people who aren't spiritual, and I'm not talking about spiritual, I'm talking about people who don't know him, love him, seek him, serve him, Fear him and follow after him. I ain't talking about all your woos and your hallelujahs because you can be a woohooing and hallelujah and walk out this door and still not believe who he is and trust in his word and get your chatty Kathy mouth running and doing everything you can. So I don't care about your, your feels, okay, because we ain't all up in our feels today because I'm sure that there are many times that Joshua and Caleb, when they were waiting those 40 years, weren't all up in their fields waiting for everybody to die. Because they still had to wait. Well, you know what I love about Joshua and Caleb? is even in the waiting, it didn't change their promise. Even in the waiting, it didn't change their view. Even in the waiting, they still had hope for what was to come. Second, 1 Corinthians 2 says, But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them. And they can't understand it, for only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach them? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. Joshua and Caleb chose to have the mind of Christ and have a mind's eye view of God. 
And, and go back, it says, those who are spiritual can evaluate all things. You know what's crazy? is Joshua and Caleb, if you have the spirit and mind of God, it gives you the ability to evaluate what's going on in front of you and say, yep, this may look like this and this may look like that, but you know what? I know the God who's in me and the God who's for me, and he's bigger than that, and he's greater than these things that I'm facing, and I can evaluate what's going to happen, and I don't just act off my emotions and turn around and miss my promise because I want to act and pout like a child, but I want to become mature and God and be able to see as things clearly are. They were able to evaluate the human and the spiritual side of the situation and not be persuaded. They knew in the end they were going to be examined by God. It says those who are spiritual can evaluate all things. And it goes on in verse 16. It says, uh, they, but they cannot be evaluated by others. That's 15. One version says they can judge good things but won't be judged by others. It's not talking about judging as in per se. What it's saying is that those who have the mind of Christ are judged by the spirit of Christ and can evaluate things in the mind of Christ so that no matter what everybody else is saying, they can't judge their spirit of God that's within them to know what they know to do. They weren't worried about it. They weren't worried about it. Back in Numbers 13, 16, it's, it talks about how, and this is in the message, and you can look for it yourself, but it, it talks about how Joshua's name was changed. Joshua's name was renamed by Moses through God from Hosea to Joshua, meaning God saves. And the name of Caleb meant wholehearted devotion. These were the two men that believed in God. And I believe there's meaning in everything that God has given us and who we are and the names and the things he places on us. But what God began to speak to me out of this, Joshua was God who saves, Caleb, Caleb right here. He was wholehearted devotion. And isn't it powerful that the two men, the one who was God who saves and wholehearted devotion were the only ones that came back with the view of Christ. And God said it to this. He said, when our mind's eye view is on the God who saves and we go into a situation with wholehearted devotion, we will clearly be able to see the path set before us. If your mind is on the God who saves and we serve him with wholehearted devotion, you can see the truth. Numbers 13.30 goes into and it says, Caleb interrupted and called for silence before Moses and said, that's nonsense. Let us go up and take the land now. We can do it. I love that because Caleb was bold. He stood for his name. He was wholehearted devotion. And you know what? True devotion to God will always interrupt false imagination. True devotion will God will always go, er, nope, I ain't going to believe that. I'm not going to delve into that. I'm not going to dive into your pool of devilish lies because I'm not going there. I don't want to. True devotion to God will always interrupt false imagination to the truth. Stand with me today. I believe God is asking you today, what do you see? What do you see? Do you really want to go there with me? Can you truly imagine yourself in the promise? What do you see? 
Close your eyes for a moment. Every single one of you in this room, just close your eyes. Talks in the Word, it says, Now faith is the evidence of things hoped for, yet not seen. With your eyes closed, you do not see God in the actual flesh and blood standing before you right at this very minute. But if He is in you, He can give you the Spirit and the lens of Him. What do you see? What do you see? What do you see? Do you really want to go there with Him? What's your desire? What do you desire? I believe that your eyes are closed for a reason because I believe that the Spirit of the Lord is telling you today, wake up. Wake up to the truth. Wake up to what you see in my spirit. Wake up. Not just because your eyes are open and you see with your own perspective. Wake up. Wake up, oh sleeper. Get your minds right. time we change our eyes view to that of the mind of Christ and stand firm in our devotion to him stand firm in our devotion to him stand firm in our devotion to him and I'm just going to ask you this this isn't something where everybody has to just do one thing or another but if you know that there are just some things in your mind that you continually allow yourself to live defensively against instead of being on the offense with God and that's even the word that he speaks to you these altars are open because I believe God's trying to get you to say to yourself, self, get your mind right. I want to do something new in you. I want to do something new in you. Get your minds right. If that's you in this room, I encourage you to come down. The altars are open to come and just get a piece of him this morning. To ask him for that peace to just settle and rest on your mind. If you long for that new thing and you know that you've been struggling to just deal in your mind every day, get your mind right. Get your mind right. Get your mind right. Wake up, oh sleeper. Wake up, oh sleeper. Get your mind right. Jesus, you're worthy. Jesus, you're worthy. Jesus, you're worthy. I want my mind to be fixed on you, God. Not on anything that man is trying to change my perspective of, God. I know that we are in a time of all times, God. And that if we don't get our minds right, God, I don't want to be left dying off so I can't reach your promise, God. So I want to get my mind right and focused on you. If you're doing the new thing in me, then let my mind be new. Jesus, that new thing. When my mind is renewed and my eyes fixed on you, oh, nothing else will do. I'm longing for that new thing. And Jesus, that new thing. When my 